Hello and welcome to Misbehave, the podcast where we explore human behavior in a business context. Season two of Misbehave is all about uncovering behavioral patterns which create success in life and business. We're joined by highly driven, accomplished individuals to assess their behavioral patterns and dive into how behaviors have influenced their journey. On this episode, we're joined by Aisha Nea, founder and principal solicitor of Nea's Solicitors. In her previous firm, Aisha was the youngest ever partner and now, alongside her business, she's become a media personality as the legal expert on shows including Steph's Pack Lunch, Rip Off Britain and BBC's Morning Live. In our conversation we delve into everything from imposter syndrome to gender balances in the workplace and what it truly takes to own your seat at the table. Welcome Aisha, it's so great to have you with us. So to kick things off, can you give us a little summary of your journey to date? Thank you for inviting me on today's podcast. So I'll tell you a little bit about myself. I am an inner city girl. Not, no, no longer a girl anymore, but I started off in a city, Manchester. I went to the local comprehensive school and left there at the age of 16, out into the big wide world. And I knew even from early days that I wanted to make something of myself. I didn't know what, but I knew that if I worked hard and I knocked on a, a lot of doors, at some point I was going to, to make it. And that was always my self-belief from a very, very young age. And I Went to university. I went to college. I did my A levels. I then went to university, and I then got a job in a law firm. Once I'd done what's called the LPC, and I got a job as a trainee solicitor in a medium-sized law firm in the middle of Manchester. Now, before stepping foot into that place, I had never even spoken to a solicitor. I didn't really know what they did. I'd never been inside an office. I was in a city kid growing up in the early eighties, and that's not really what we did. My parents didn't know any lawyers. So it was really in my head at that time, it's a bit of a pipe dream, but it was a self-belief that got me there. And again, I wrote lots and lots of applications and and I hand wrote my CV out in those days. There was I'm embarrassed to almost say this. In those days there was <laughs> there weren't computers in the way there are now. And I hand wrote with a fountain pen all my application letters and I hand wrote my CV out and I sent it off to all these different law firms. And then one of them gave me a chance. And I always knew that once I got my foot in the door, from there on in, I was going to make something of myself because I didn't have anything else to fall back on. My parents were working class. I came from a very stable, loving family, but I knew I still had to make it on my own. Got a job in a law firm. And from day one, I absolutely loved it. And they say, don't they, you know, if you do something you love, you'll never work a day in your life. And that's exactly what happened. I got into this law firm and I love the work. I love the people. I love the environment. And I just felt completely at home. And then from there, I worked hard. I worked weekends. I worked late nights. I mean, I run my own business now and I often laugh when I look at that. I was 22 years old. I often laugh at that 22-year-old girl who was working till nine, 10 o'clock at night and going in on a Sunday and working a full day. And I was, I laughed at myself. I think, oh God, I wish one of my employees would do that for me now. And, <laughs> and I, was, I was on the minimum wage, but it was never about the money. It was always about doing the best that I could on the work that I had in front of me. And then very quickly, they recognized that. And I became a partner in that law firm. I was the youngest partner there. And so, you know, there I was partnering this big law firm in the city, fantastic offices. They were all glass fronted, my name on the door, had driven a con- driving a convertible because my boss at the time <laughs> bought me a company car and said, what do you want? And I just, you know, very naively pointed to a red convertible in the showroom and 
you know, two days later, that's what I was driving at the age of, at the ripe old age of 28. Um, I'm a partner in law firm. And then I went on to have um, my first daughter. And I realized at that stage that I didn't want to do the long hours that I was doing with a very young child. And so very naively, I think I, I, I changed um, and, and decided that I would change tack and do something a bit different. So I started running courses for solicitors. I joined a large company that ran professional courses for solicitors. And that was a brilliant career move looking back because that what, what that suddenly gave me was, I knew how to do the cases, but what that suddenly gave me once I was delivering training courses was that tactical and technical knowledge that you need in a law firm. And I think that stint there has set me up for all the success I've gone on to have in the future because I suddenly I was technically strong I was tactically strong I was meeting all these individuals from different law firms and building up my social network because as a speaker Mm -hmm. you speak to everyone and then I stayed there had another child and then I decided then I wanted to do something different and on my courses were coming all these young men and ladies and very very successful businessmen and businesswomen who were learning off me and they were going away to their law firms and I thought well if they can do it, I can do it. So let's let's think about start setting up my own law firm. And that's exactly what I did. So I set up my own law firm. Um, and that was when I was pregnant with my third child. So in theory, it was crazy. I had absolutely no maternity leave. I had a five-year-old, a one-and-a-half-year-old, and a baby. I set up my law firm. And that's yeah. and from there on in, um, I think, you know, my fortunes changed because the law firm, I would say that the youngest brought me a lot of success and joy. But she also kickstarted the law firm. Law firms won numerous awards. We've done incredibly well. You know, we've really placed ourselves on the legal map. And then the legal firm launched because of the kind of work I was doing and the name I'd made for myself, the TB career that I'm now very proudly got. So that was uh, I, that was meant to be a snippet of my journey. But there's so much in it that <laughs> it, it's taken longer than I wanted to. And we're going to delve into that. When you started the business, you you created a persona around what you wanted to build the business about. Tell the listeners a little bit about what that looked like and and how that transformed. So I am Aisha Nayar, and I have got like most people a story behind me, and the business was always about. This strong individual, no-nonsense, feisty female solicitor from an ethnic background who, against all odds, had gone on to succeed in a city. And that real grit that you have when you're a northern individual. Um, And that's what we wanted to build the law firm around, an individual. And that's why we named it after my surname. And that's exactly what we went on and did. And this individual, Aisha Nayar. Everybody wanted Aisha Nayar because it was this media personality. It was this individual that really was feisty. She won your cases. She was with you. You know, she would leave no stone unturned in that quest for justice on your case. And that sounds really cliched and it sounds almost quite corny when I say it, but it's not just a persona. That is me. Any client of mine that's ever listening to this knows that we've got this. I've got, if you you walk through the door to, at my firm and you've got me acting for you. I will fight every step of the way to make sure that you get the result that you want. So, yeah, there is this persona of this feisty, no-nonsense lawyer who goes out and gets results. But that's, that is me. That is exactly, yeah. you know, what I, what I am. And that's what I, I go on and do. And, you know, to this day, I've never – listen, we don't win everything. You can't win every single case. It's, it's just not possible. Sometimes, you know, your client doesn't stand up great in court. Sometimes 
case crumbles for whatever reason. But I've never to this day had a client who's turned around and said, we didn't fight it all the way because that's what I do. And that's what, you know, if I was a, a client out there and I wanted a lawyer, what would I want? That's the kind of lawyer I want, someone who's really going to go out there and get it for me. And I think that's so fascinating to build a business around this individual persona because businesses, well, sometimes they start off and they haven't got a clear vision for what it's going to look like full stop. But often it's about the business and almost this like this this piece that you can't touch or that you can't imagine. And actually that persona, when you're describing it, like you can see, I know the listeners won't be able to see you on the screen, but you can see how you light up and like the passion that comes from that. I'm interested in when you were creating that persona at the beginning, do you feel like you emulated all of those behaviours at that point in time, Aisha? Or do you think that over time and as the business has grown and as, as, the, as it's evolved that you've almost because a lot of, to be honest, what you're describing is your behavioural map <laughs> that we're sat looking at. But do you think some of that's evolved over time? Yeah, of course. And I think confidence comes with age as well. Um, and it comes with knowledge as well. And that, as I said, the technical ability that I had, I was marrying that with that hard work ethic. And then also the personality, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a wife, I'm a mum, I'm a friend, I'm a sister, I'm a daughter. And my, it, again, it's almost a cliche, but it's, genuinely what I believe when I have somebody who walks in through my law firm if it's a woman of a certain age of a young boy of a certain age I think like that was my mum going through a divorce what kind of service would I want her to have how would I want that lawyer to speak to if that was my brother coming in um you know and he's being sued and he's at his end he's at the end of his tether and you know he's really frustrated because he's got all these court documents that he doesn't understand how would I sort that mess out for him so that's the idea that I have for every single client of mine that walks through the door. So I'm, I'm, I'm really that, that persona, that personality of mine comes into it. And yeah, you know, I am no nonsense. I am feisty. I want to get results, but I'm also a person at the end of it. Yeah. And that's why I think the individuality works so well within the law firm. How has that translated? I'm just interested as you've grown and you've added staff to your team how has that translated with them because obviously that's usually the tension point between a personal brand and a business brand and how are they different to that persona and how have you seen them fit in in around that well I'm I'm apparently a nightmare interviewer with my co-interviewees because regardless of how good they are when they walk through the door if I like them as a person and I can relate to them and I always see a little bit of myself in them they've got the job um and my co-interviewer will always say I knew they'd got the job the minute they'd walked through the door and you could see, you could mirror your personality within them, whether they had experience or they didn't. Because I think at that stage, you can mold somebody into your culture and your way of thinking. But at the same time, you come into our firm and you, you can't escape the culture. You can't escape the service levels. You can't escape the empathy. And they know, you know, even, even on reception, if we get a call in and someone's desperate, they know that we have to sort it out and it, because it is a responsibility. There's lots of professionals out there that will just see it as a job and there's nothing wrong with that. But for me, I feel like now I've got a responsibility to everybody who walks through my door because I can problem solve. I can help them. So that culture is there within the firm and everyone who works there, they do buy into it because they see it. That's, yeah. just, that's just how we are. Service levels are massive to us. 
I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Because we often talk and we talk about building teams and making sure that you surround yourself, yes, with people who maybe share the same values and have got the same drive, but but also about how do you balance out and bring in people who maybe are different to you, but who can do the other things that potentially, your, you know, where your areas aren't, they're not your strengths. How do you bring in people that may feel slightly different when you meet them because they're more detail focused and they're maybe slightly more reflective and you know their pace isn't the same as yours but have you have you managed to be able to sort of bridge the gap with that and bring in as your team's grown have you managed to bring in people who maybe bring a different side to to the business absolutely well we all know in any business you need different types of people you need different cogs in the wheel to make it go round. And so look, not everybody can be confident and loud and a people person. We've got quieter individuals within the business. I think it's just recognizing people for their strengths and at the same time, recognizing your own weaknesses or, or ways that you may, mm. may need to fill that piece of the jigsaw. And so really, I think it's about making the team inclusive, whatever your personality maybe, but it's everybody recognizing what the brand stands for, which is for me, it's getting results. It's the service level and it's just being the best that we can be as a, as a team. It's interesting because I think what you're, what you're describing there, it's almost like that persona has become a set of values, hasn't it? It's become almost these values that then sit underneath, underneath that brand that people buy into. On your map, one of your dominant patterns is a pattern that we call power. And it's actually about, sometimes people misread that word. And I think it's an interesting word because it's got positive and negative connotations to it. What it means from a behavioral standpoint is just someone who's motivated by leading, by taking charge. I mean, to be honest, a lot of the traits you talked about. And I'm interested in what the word powerful and being powerful means to you. So being powerful it, for me, it means leading. It means someone that you look up to. It means somebody that you respect. It doesn't mean you're stamping on other people just because you're at the top. It just means you've yeah. reached the pinnacle of where you were supposed to be. And for that reason, you can look down to other parts of the pyramid. You might be at the top, but you're looking down at other parts of the pyramid and you're helping bring them up. You're helping nurture them. And you're using that power to empower other people as well. And so for me, that's really important. I mean, power can mean lots of things. I, I wouldn't look at it with a negative connotation. I would look at it as someone powerful for me is somebody that I would, I would respect and I would admire. I know now where you entered a world which was pretty dominated by men. And I'm interested to know, like setting up your own law firm as a woman, what challenges of being a woman in business, what challenges have you faced or in, in particularly in your industry? So I set up my law firm. I was pregnant with my, my third child. And I remember, you know, on paper, it was madness. We had three young kids. I was setting up a business and everybody knows in any business, when you first launch it, it's just self-consuming, isn't it? You, you, you worry about it, you don't sleep at night, you, the work's coming in, you've got to service it because most businesses will rise or fail within the first 12 months. And so, a, you know, a challenge for me certainly was I had, as a woman, I had a family at home. I had a very young family that I was juggling at the same time as my other baby, which was the business. And it was a business that we couldn't afford 
to fail. I couldn't afford, I'd invested financially into this business. I'd given up my other job. I couldn't, um, I couldn't afford for it to fail. So in terms of challenges, I think, you know, the challenges along the way are always that juggle of home and work life, that, that balance that you, you have, women and men have it. I, dare I say women have it more. That mum guilt is absolutely real. Um, you know, I, I, I do a lot of TV work now, so I may be away Monday to Friday. And it, you know, there is always an element of me, I can see my kids for three days. But, you know, that's what puts bread on the table. That's what makes me happy. And that is my job. So I think getting that work-life balance is always difficult. So that's always been one of my challenges. It's not a bad challenge to have, but it is a challenge that if, if I said what, what, what's one of my struggles, my inner struggles with my work and my home, it's definitely one of them. I think one thing I wanted to just to touch on in relation to that is, you know, when we chatted, we talked about the fact that actually sometimes when you're doing business development in like this thing around, and we've not really explored it on our podcast episodes before, but this thing around like having the balance right when, how to business develop with the opposite sex. And I think this is a challenge for men as well as women, but how to do that, you know, what, what, but what boundaries do you put in place if someone asks you to dinner, for example, and you think there'd be a great contact? What are you worried that, about? What does that say? Or what are, how do you set really clear boundaries in a world where business networking is very, very critical? Building great relationships is really critical. Yeah, absolutely. How do you, how do you manage to navigate that? I think that is a struggle for, I mean, it'd be really interesting to hear what a man's take on this is because it probably would be would be similar but when you're a woman in a man's world there's less of you and there's more of them so you know I would certainly would say at the outset when I first started out I'd go to all these um ceremonies I'd go to all these dinners and it was a room predominantly of men and the women were often the plus one of the man on the table um and I'd go in and it's like what do you do and I'd, I'd shake my hand I'm Aisha shake 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 in a way it worked because everyone remembered me so being a woman in a man's world, people go, oh, yeah, that was that female solicitor that came. She won, you know, lawyer of the year. And you stand out. But on the other hand, you know and I know that work nowadays, it is built around social networking and social relationships. And, you know, a lot of business is done on the golf course or out for a meal or for drinks. And I do think it is hard for a woman to, you know, if I, if I meet somebody who's interesting, I am hesitant to say, should we go for, you know, do you want to go for dinner? If it's, a, if it's a man, it just, you know, it, it is difficult. If it was a woman, I wouldn't bat, twa- you know, I wouldn't bat an eyelid and I'd quite happily say, should we, should we meet up for a drink or should we go for dinner? It is a bit more difficult doing that. So I think as a woman, you know, it'd be interesting to, to, to what, what are your views on it? Do you agree? I think similar in terms, yeah. And I think it's, I think it's a massive consideration. I think for me, and like you say, it's, it's hard to say how other people would view it, but I'm definitely, I think I've got some self boundaries around yeah. stuff like that, that it's like, I'll go for a coffee with somebody. Yeah. I will go for lunch with someone. I think as soon as you start to go into like dinner drinks especially I think that's a bit of a it's a bit of a blurry line unless it's somebody that you know really well you've got an established relationship with them you know where it stands you know there's lots of male business owners that we know very well that we've known for years that I wouldn't hesitate to go for dinner with because there's been a boundary line set there but I think if it's new contacts that you potentially don't know their situations I think it's it's about establishing just the right environment and the boundaries where you don't 
you want to be able to have conversations about work and business without then having to also draw a boundary line somewhere. Um, so, but it's, it's definitely, it's a tricky balance. And I think even the, even the space and time for networking, if you're, I mean, for me, I've got a young daughter, I'm a single mom. So actually taking time to go and do networking on an evening is not really an option for me. And it's interesting because you don't want your business to suffer because of that. You know, you want the ability to be able to be on an even playing field, but there is still a lot of networking that happens oh, absolutely. out of hours that isn't accessible for lots of yeah, people. Yeah, of course it is. You know, even 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 breakfast meetings, a lot of them at 6, 6 a.m., yeah. that, that, that's not practical for um, a lot of people to go to. And then evening drinks, evening meals. Again, very difficult. But I'm not talking about social as in a large group. It's a one-to-one. I might meet somebody who's really interesting, who I want to learn yeah. from, who I, you know, I want to know how they've got where they've got. Would I say, would you like to go for dinner? To, to, to... No, I wouldn't because I wouldn't know what their personal situation is, whether they'd be happy with that, whether I'd be happy with that. So I think from a female perspective, you've got, you, you are conscious of that in the back of your head. So yeah, that's absolutely a struggle that you can have as a woman. It's interesting, isn't it? And I think it's like, it's, and some of this is like, it runs subconsciously. You don't even know that it's running or yeah. that it's a challenge. And I'm sure that, you know, I'm sure there's, people have different circumstances and different, different life events that are impacting their decisions, but um, it's an well, interesting we subject. We have different definitely. perceptions, don't we, for women and men. I mean, I, I went away from a Monday to a Thursday and I was in the gym on a Friday morning and one of the ladies that I trained with said where, where, where have you been I said oh I was filming I was away Monday to Thursday and she said oh where were your kids and I, I said well very quickly I, I just piped back well would you ask my husband that if he went away for work Monday Thursday and she looked really embarrassed and she went no 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 I wouldn't actually no I'm sorry I'm, I'm really sorry I don't know why I asked that question but that was an immediate and this is you know this is someone like me and you but that was an instant reaction oh who had the girls then well, who do you think had them? You know, and does, would that even really matter? Listen, we have to challenge our subconscious bias regularly <laughs> and challenge other people's and interrupt that thought process because we are human and, and it's built in, unfortunately. And, you know, we've got yeah. to continue to challenge that and interrupt that, those kind of thoughts. And interestingly, the lady that asked it me, I would have never imagined her to ask me that, but she did. Mm-hmm. So it, it's exactly what you've just said. It is that subconscious bias that people will automatically say, if a woman's gone away three, four days, oh, who had the children? Were, were, the, were the girls all right without you? <laughs> Would you think he fed them dog food? You know? yeah. <laughs> yeah, you were fine. He's their dad. He's actually yeah. a really, really good dad who can do everything that I can do. But mm. there is still that subconscious bias that, that women have. And it, it, it's honestly, it's a real shame. And you're absolutely right. We really do need to champion each other um, Mm -hmm. and challenge those stereotypes. Because it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because actually often um, those questions come more from other women. They do. Than men. You know, it's not a, we talk a lot about this isn't a man-woman issue, that actually a lot of the gender bias, you know, that we see actually comes from other women. It's not, you know, and it's it's actually not challenging ourselves. Yeah. It's interesting you say that because people often ask me, um, have you faced any um challenges or discrimination or any kind of sexism from the men because it is a man's world most law firm owners in my experience it tend to be men or partners tend to be men and I actually say no absolutely none I think they massively respect me for being a woman who's been able to achieve all of this 
And I am known to be a doer. So, you know, you give me a job and I do it, I deliver. And it's often I'll go into meetings. And it, it was really interesting because when I first started going to the business meetings, I'd realized that for, you know, for the first 15, 20 minutes, they're just talking about football, golf. <laughs> I'd be like, chop, chop, everybody. You know, I've got a school run to do. I'd rather be doing the school run than sat here. And they'd laugh about it and they'd go, all right, I should say, we've got to get down to business. And then it'd be bang, bang, bang. You know, what are we doing? Um, right, we're going to do it. Right, we're delegating it. This is an action plan. And I, I'd, I'd leave them to it. And I'd yeah. go back out. You carry on, you know, you enjoy yourself. I'd go straight out and I'd job, job, job. And then by the time they left me, they'd be like, oh, wow, she's actually put into place some of the action plan. And th- that element of it, I think they get past man or woman. I think whether you're a man or whether you're a woman, if you're, you're not great at your job and, you, and you're falling and you're not delivering, it's going to get noticed. Maybe they put it down to the fact that you might be a woman. But when you're able to deliver on all of those, then I've never, I can honestly say I've not had any bias from any men. If, if anything, I think it's increased the respect. And, you know, even if I'm in the middle of something and I'll say, I've got to go and do this for one of my kids, they know they're fine with it because they know I'll pick it up later, which we all know women often do, don't they? And that's a fascinating thought process around, because we talk a lot about this concept of, you know, Sheryl Sandberg coined the phrase, you know, take own your seat at the table. And actually often a lot of the biases that people feel, a lot of it generates sometimes in your own head that actually if you're in a room, you know, what you just described there is walking in a room and owning your seat at the table and not sitting at that seat and second guessing yourself and questioning, should you interrupt, should you not interrupt? And is now a time to speak or is it not a time to speak? I mean, a lot of it's tailored to your behavioral patterns and that action piece. But I think it's an interesting point for the listeners to maybe think about around, you know, are you sometimes preempting some of that stuff? Are you owning that seat at the table? If you're sat at the table, you're there for a reason and use your voice for good. Well, going on to that, somebody asked me a question, have you ever had imposter syndrome? And I said, no. And there was a pin drop silence in this room because everyone was like, oh, whoa, she thinks a lot of herself. And I said, no, that's, that, that's not it. Look, we all have self-doubts at times, but I've never had imposter syndrome in my working career. I'm a Muslim. I believe that God has a plan for all of us. And I honestly believe that that's where my God wants me to be at that time. And so why would I question where I am? Because that's his plan for me. And so for that reason as well, I've never had imposter syndrome. I'm there for a reason. I'm confident in my ability. And if I am not confident for any reason, then I'll ask the right questions to make me understand, to get to the level that make, will make me deserve to have the seat at that table. Yeah. Fascinating. Have you ever experienced any sort of major periods of like struggle or, or something that's potentially failed in your business journey that um, you know, that we're just conscious of like listeners listening and thinking it sounds, you know, your journey sounds like, well, it was a challenge, but you faced it and it was all, and it all turned out. Was there anything that you came up that was really, really difficult for you? Look, the struggle in my career, there's been lots and lots of ups and downs from writing those hundreds of letters by hand, by hand. at the dining room <laughs> table at the age of 21 and, and, and going and buying stamps and posting them and getting hundreds of rejection letters back and, but I never gave up. That was a real struggle. I remember my dad saying to me, you're not going to get one job out of all these letters. And I was like, I'll get one, dad. I just need one. But at the time I really remember as a struggle, it almost makes me emotional thinking about it, was when I'd had my my, my youngest and 
we I'd had a baby, it was my third um section, three babies, you know, five, 18 months, um, two week old baby, and I went back to work and I remember being physically, emotionally, mentally exhausted, but the work was there and it had to be done. And I often say to people, it, it's a law firm, so the cases go on. It's not a shop where you just close the shop and you say, right, we're, we're closed for two weeks, we're off on holiday. The work was there, clients were ringing up. And I remember having her, and I didn't tell anybody I was having a baby because I was scared that nobody would, because I just set up the law firm in March. She was born in July. And I thought, if I start saying to people, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm seven months pregnant, no one's going to give me any work. No one's going to tell me. And I remember hiding that pregnancy, and, and I told my clients, I was off on holiday for two weeks and they all said, oh, where are you going somewhere nice? I said, yeah, I'm going to Dubai. And they were like, oh, have a great time. Well, I went off, I went and I had a baby. And then a month later, probably about three months later, they said, um, how many children, when they got to know me a bit about how many children have you got? And I said, I've got a, um, I've got five-year-old, uh, 18-month-old, and I've got a, a, a two-month-old. And they were like, a two-month, a baby. I was like, oh yeah, remember that time? I said, I actually had a baby. But that's what gave me. I know you don't have to do that to get the respect. But they were like, wow, okay, this woman's made of steel. But in that time, I honestly, I was physically, I was emotionally, I was mentally exhausted. I remember driving to work every single day, crying my eyes out on the way there. So I'd left the baby that I just wanted to be at home with. I remember leaving work and I'd often leave at one, two in the morning. I'd go back to work about nine o'clock and I'd leave about half one in the morning and drive. I'm going to cry all the way home, get in, feed the baby get into bed, wake up again, night feed. I remember one night I was leaving. I must have done this for months and months. And the takeaway owner across the road, he just, as I was getting in the car at half one, he came over to me and he said, what do you do? What do you do in that little office up there? And I said, I'm a solicitor. And he said, I don't know what you do, but God bless you. He, oh. said, I see you. he said, I see you leave at six o'clock when he was opening. So I'd be finishing in the day, go home, sort the kids out. And come out. He said, I don't know what you do, but God bless you. And that just pushed me over the edge and I cried even more on the way home. But that was a real struggle. And I remember looking back at that time and just thinking, oh my God, is this business going to work? Are we gonna? And my favorite question, I remember my question to my husband always at the time was because he was helping with the business at the time. Are we going to make any money? Is this going to be worth it? And he kept saying it will, it will, you know, be fine. Um, and it did. And it all paid off. And there was absolutely no substitute for hard work. But maybe that struggle, like that real, you know, tiredness that was kicking in as a new mom, it paid off in the long run. It, you know, it was crazy. It was, a, it was a really up and down time in my life where, you know, mentally I wasn't in the best of places, but, you know, I, I struggled through it. And, you know, I look back and, and that's made me the person I am today. Yeah. Thanks what for sharing that story. Yeah. I mean, it's, it sounds like something on a, a Netflix series, you know, like I, know. I can see I'm going in a court. Like, like, yeah. <laughs> it sounds like a, a great Netflix series, but isn't it interesting how you come through such difficult times? That sounds almost unimaginable. Honestly, but- I was, I, I was exhausted. I remember I just used to be like, I just need three hours of sleep. I'm so tired. And, <laughs> you know, you're on the phone to clients who you know, bang, bang, bang. And I often say as a lawyer, I'm taking, I'm stressed anyway at home. I'm taking on your stresses. That's mm. what lawyers do. We were paid to take on people's stress. Um, and I remember thinking, God, you haven't got a clue. But I've, I've got to put that face on and I've got mm. to be the best I can be for you because I don't want, I want you to get the result. And I think, you know, it's only when you've gone through that and you've done that, that you realize that, you know, we, we can do anything, can't we? If we really yeah. put our mind to it. 
And I think that's a great lesson, isn't it? It's almost like you've got to, sometimes this journey is hard. And, you know, we talk about entrepreneurship and people look at the outcome of it and they look at the shiny stuff and they look at the, you know, in your case, the TV appearances and this great business. And it's like, yeah, but that didn't happen without struggle. That didn't happen without sleepless nights, quite literally. What is, you know, you've got this big piece in your round, big visionary, big goal focus. What is next for you? So I do quite a lot of TV work now. I'm a legal expert on various different TV programs. And every seven or eight years, I've evolved, I've changed. And we know, don't we, every decade as we grow, you kind of change what you want to do. And for the last about five years or so, I've ended up in the TV world and I absolutely love it. Um, and I, for me now, the law firm is there. It's taken, I've kind of gone back to running cases and I'm really enjoying that. I had a bit of a hiatus from doing that. I went off and did other things, but I'm back in the law firm. I'm running cases. I really, really enjoy that. But I'm also at the moment developing um, a, 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 another business at the side, which isn't related to law, but it's, 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 it's in its infancy. But the skill set that I've got from the law firm, I'm applying to that. But then at the same time, my real love at the moment is TV programs that I'm doing. I've been filming this morning. I've had a very, very early 5 a.m. start for a TV program that I've done in Manchester. I've done morning live and I was talking prenups this morning. So it was a very, it was a topical subject and the comments on that went a bit crazy. And so, yeah, I'm in this TV world and there's, there's other TV work in the pipeline. So really it's just developing that. Well, we are very excited to continue to watch your journey, but thank you so much for spending time with us. It's been a really enlightening conversation and we really appreciate you being here with us. Thank you very much for having me, ladies. Thanks so much. Thanks. See you soon. Thank you. Let's wrap up with some takeaways after a super interesting conversation with Aisha. The first one I wanted to talk about was thinking about have you ever given your business a persona? thought it was really interesting that Aisha actually created a persona for her business before she started it. And in the businesses that we work with, often companies give so much thought to the personas of their buyers, but maybe not so much as to their own persona. So we then talked about Aisha's dominant motivation for power and leading, taking ownership of things, and that sometimes this can be seen as negative, especially with women, that the power has this connotation of aggression with it. But actually, it can be a real positive when used in the right way, and that actually women in the workplace or leaders or female entrepreneurs should actually see being powerful as such a positive thing and taking ownership for the space that you're in. The last thing that we wanted to wrap up was this whole piece around being an imposter. And Aisha talked about not having experienced imposter syndrome, but a lot of what she was actually describing was that she didn't make herself an imposter in any of the rooms that she went into. She was really open about her priorities. She was open about the time that she had. And she really owned that seat at the table and knew that she brought equal, if not more value than lots of other people in the room. So her taking ownership for who she was and not making herself the imposter was probably a big reason for why she's never really suffered from that imposter syndrome. Thank you for listening to Misbehave. Follow us so you don't miss out on other episodes. 